tonight we're going to be looking at an introduction to what we would call demonology. That is, uh, tonight, specifically, the origins of Satan. And then on the 25th, later this month, I'll be doing one on the activity of the demonic. It's kind of like too much in one night. I didn't want to overdo everybody here with so much information. So I decided to split it between two sermons. So we shouldn't be late tonight on this. And uh, so it's kind of a big topic. So we want to do that uh, in parts here. Uh, You know, when you talk about the topic of uh, demonology, the uh, workings of the evil one, uh, there's a lot that can be said on this. This is an odd topic where there's a lot of polar extremes that are taught out there. Unfortunately, there's a lot of bad books written on this topic that are not worth reading. Uh, There's many extremists in their views on this topic. Uh, Unfortunately, many people hold unscriptural beliefs, uh, conduct unscriptural practices, say confusing and harmful things that put people in confusion and fear. This ought not be. So we want to look at this from the Word of God with an understanding that we could take with us as a foundation in our Christian walk. Some would ask, why would you even want to teach on this topic? Well, we do live in a world that is demon-influenced. That is, as the Word of God tells us, Satan is the god of this age, this age culture that we have. And there's so much in the Bible written on this topic. Jesus spoke a lot on this topic. Uh, so we have here 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2, uh, verse 11, I'm sorry. I don't know why I have verse 2 here. Lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Or in some translations, not ignorant of his schemes. So if Paul took the time here to warn us that we ought not be uh, ignorant of the schemes of the enemy, we need to take this warning seriously. And also it tells us here in uh, 2 Timothy, Paul tells us that all Scripture is profitable for instruction. So if the Word of God says a lot about this topic, then it's profitable to us for instruction. You know, what you don't know can kill you. And you need to be well armed and with the knowledge of God's Word that your prayer and your warfare would be uh, successful. You know, prayer could really be divided into two broad categories those that we address the Father with, and those that we enforce the victory of Jesus against the evil one. Kind of like all prayer is in those two huge broad areas and those directions. A lot of prayer in both areas in different ways. But with the prayer to enforce against the schemes of the wicked one, that the body of Christ would find spiritual victory in their prayer life, you need to be informed on this. You need to know what you're doing. It isn't just the force of your personality, and God forbid not strong language, right? We want to make sure we are uh, in line with Scripture when we pray and how we enforce the Lord's victory at the cross and the empty grave. So we do need a basic understanding of how the demonic operates. That is the dominion of darkness. Satan doesn't have a kingdom. Biblically, he has a dominion. And so since we are in a sermon topic on Sundays on The Struggle is Real, it would be good to have a little bit more on this to look at uh, while we're in this topics here on Sunday that we don't have a lot of time to talk about in detail. So that's why I decided to do this on a couple Wednesdays here. So like I said before, uh, this is a big topic. So tonight, uh, this is not intended to be an exhaustive presentation. Uh, That would take a good 20 hours maybe. Uh, So we don't have time to do that, to do a fair examination on this topic. This is just an introduction. Uh, In our Bible school, we have something called the doctrine of Satan, where we study that in more detail. But um, we need to know, of course, it's no surprise, you know, the devil has been trying very hard to capture this world, this society, this planet since World War II. Uh, And these last days of darkness have tremendously increased and risen and will continue to increase in evil in our midst. Oh my gosh, the stuff, if you're old enough to remember, right? The stuff we're seeing today, we never saw years ago. Those who are old enough to remember. It's it's, it's bizarre how things have increased in its uh, uh, darkness, um, the attack against people's lives, the attacks against our minds and our schools, what our children are dealing with today, they didn't deal with many years ago. 
Uh, it, it's, it's amazing. I, ref, I forgot the, um, the actual statistic, but I think in the 1950s, the greatest, what did they say? Or was that the 40s? The greatest uh, offense in, in um, high schools was kids chewing gum during class. How about that? Today, you've got to check them for weapons. I mean, come on. Really? This is outrageous. This is outrageous. Uh, so the darkness has tremendously increased as the time has gone on in this world, if you've been old enough to see it change. So but, but the important thing here is when you examine a topic like this, it's important to remember we need to be Jesus conscious, not demon conscious. By some people, you think there's a demon under every rock. We need to be Jesus conscious. Jesus needs to fill my thoughts, not demons. My gosh, that's so, so serious. Uh, we must be filled with faith, not fear. Another big issue. Um, and with the personal knowledge of God's word in our hearts, there's no need to fear. There is no need to fear. So with the blood of Jesus, the word of God, on our testimony, demons fear you. We need to remember that. They fear you. Because Jesus gave you authority over them, as it tells us in Luke chapter 10. So if Jesus gave us authority over them, trust me, they fear you. Not because of you, but the name of Jesus on your lips, that you speak in faith. And when I say the word testimony, that means how we live our daily lives. Are we living unto the Lord? What's our daily testimony like? That's the weapons of our warfare, the blood of Jesus, the word of God, um, the, the name of Jesus and our testimony. Very important that we get that. So, understanding all that, let's talk tonight briefly uh, about the origins of Satan here. Now, again, we have a whole course on this in our Bible school. That's, I don't know what that is, 10 weeks, whatever it is. So, we obviously can't do a lot of heavy stuff tonight on that. But let's talk about it briefly here. Um, this is a huge uh, controversy in Christianity today. You wouldn't think so, but this is a huge controversy whether there is really a personally sanctioned being known as Satan or not. Um, it's amazing that many in Christianity today don't even believe he exists. There are churches that do not teach the devil is a real person. I think the devil made that lie up himself. Yeah, isn't that amazing? So for Bible-believing Christians, uh, I hope that's you, you're in a minority in terms of Christianity across this nation today. It's an amazing thing. Uh, but based on what the Bible tells us, Satan is a real person, a real spiritual being. He's not an influencing idea on society. He's not some abstract design of theology. Well, there's evil present in our society today. Yeah, but there's a personhood behind it. No, there are, there are churches that do not even believe that, which is shocking. How many pages of the Bible do you have to rip out to make yourself happy? I mean, my gosh, we don't read our Bible like, oh, I got a Bible here. Isn't this nice? Oh, I don't believe that. Shh. Our church doesn't teach that. Shh. Oh my, what day are we living in? Shh. That's how people live. It's like a la carte. This is a la carte. The word of God speaks for itself. You either receive it or you don't. There is no, I'll pick and choose what I want. But when it comes into a topic like this, that's how a lot of uh, churches exist. They pick and choose what they want. Absolutely amazing. So the Bible does give personal names and titles to Satan. Uh, there are personal acts that are attributed to him, all of which Jesus himself recognized. Uh, and the writers of the epistles, the letters to the churches, they warn us of in many of their letters. So if Jesus made reference here about the evil one, he taught about the evil one, I accept Jesus' words as truth. Final answer. I don't need somebody's theology to convince me different. It is worthless to read. If Jesus believed it, I believe it. If Jesus spoke on it, I accept it. If I don't, why in the world do I claim I'm saved then? So we have to learn, rather, when we come to the, uh, to the Word of God, of what 
we need to be taught correctly about. And if what I've been taught in my life doesn't agree with the Word of God, that has to go, not the Word of God. The Word of God has to reteach me, re-educate me, reorient me to what is really correct. Because I live in a world that will not teach me correct. If you uh, were an adult at World War II, nobody here was an adult at World War II. Uh, they were the last normal generation. Post-World War II, we live in a wicked and perverse generation that has twisted truth constantly, and it's getting worse and worse and worse. So biblical standards, people who would live by biblical standards are looked down upon. You're, you're talked about like you're ignorant. Uh, you're, you're rejected like you're fools. You're the only ones that are sane. Do you ever realize that when you come to church? Wow, I'm around normal people. Isn't this great? Yeah, really. Some, based on what you experienced during the, uh, du during the work, uh, uh, you know, day that you live in, where you might be working. Of course, I work here. It's nice. But, you know, you're, like, you're not around normal people. You're about people that are, that are ruled by fear, people that are ruled by dread of what's going to happen in the next day, people who are constantly uh, 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 under uh, oppression and bombardment because of sinful lifestyles, and they know it, and they don't know how to get out of it, and they won't tell you. Wow, this is pretty heavy stuff. So uh, here when we come to the Word of God and see what the Word of God tells us about the evil one and the evil attributes, we're reading the way it really is. I'm not reading the distortion that's been taught to me in the last 50 years, 60 years. So, uh, regarding tonight, we're talking about basically the origins of Satan. And uh, he enters humanity, as we can see, in Genesis chapter 3. We know he's in the garden already. And he uh, comes as a snake and, uh, and to deceive Eve. So we know he's present there. But where exactly does he come from? Where exactly are his origins? That's an important biblical question we need to ask. Well, when we look here at Genesis chapter 1, we see in between verses 1 and 2, something is happening. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Is that up there? That's up there. Good. Then look at verse 2. And the earth was formless and desolate emptiness, a darkness over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surfaces of the water. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. Wait a minute. Stop. Something's wrong right off the bat. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and desolate. God doesn't create formless and desolate. Some translations say chaotic. Some say uh, 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 destruction. He doesn't create like that. Something happened in between verses 1 and 2. So actually, when you're reading your Bibles, the chapters and the, and the verse markings are not divinely inspired by God. They were put there by nice people in the Middle Ages who were trying to help us read our Bibles. So if you're really doing Genesis chapter 1, it's verse 1, stop. That's chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Stop. When you get to verse 2, something already has happened. And that's really another chapter starting. And what's happened here is in between verses 1 and 2, here is probably where you would put the fall of Lucifer in the eternity of history. This is probably where we find he has already been judged and cast down to the earth. And what we're looking at here in verse 2 is the result of a massive destructive war that we have no information on. Something happened where the earth is now desolate, empty, and dark. Wow. So in verse 2 and on, what you have there is a story of recreation, not creation. Verse 1, God created the heavens and the earth. Starting in verse 2, you've got a story of recreation happening and in the following verses where God is restoring to the earth the way it should be. Something happened in a devastating spiritual war that affected the natural realm that we have no concept of. Now, we could talk a lot about that tonight. We don't have that kind of time. Uh, there's a lot more in depth we could do here. But here is probably where you would put the fall of, of, of Lucifer in between verses 1 and 2. 
And the full story of his fall, if you're taking notes for yourself, we're going to look at some of these, can primarily be found in Isaiah chapter 14, in verses 12 to 14, then in Ezekiel chapter 28, I'll say it again if I'm going too fast, verses 12 through 19, and then Revelation chapter 12, verses 7 through 10, and verse 12. I'll say it again. Isaiah chapter 14, verses 12 to 14, Ezekiel chapter 28, verses 12 to 19, and then the book of Revelation, chapter 12, verses 7 to 10, and you'd want to include verse 12. Okay, these are prophetic scriptures uh, explaining what happened or part of what happened in between verses 1 and 2. So uh, here in Isaiah, the scripture 14, the king of Babylon is addressed. In Ezekiel, in uh, chapter 28, it's the king of Tyre, that's Lebanon area, that's addressed. But you know, when you read these judgments God has to say and the comments he makes, there's an oddity here. God seems to be addressing somebody other than the kings that are mentioned here. Uh, things that couldn't possibly apply to them. So what does that mean? Okay, here's what we have called, if you, if people who study prophecy, it's called the prophetic law of double reference. Prophetic law of double reference. And it means to refer to someone who can be seen and use that person to describe someone who can't be seen. To use someone who can be seen to describe someone who can't be seen. So let's say I'm Bob, Pastor Bob here. Uh, you never met your great-great-grandfather, right? I never did. And if people would be able to know them, oh, just look at Bob, and you've seen his great-great-grandfather. Hey, he looks just like him. What did I just do? I took someone visible that you can see to describe someone that you can't see. That's what this is. So, with that in mind here, um, let's look at how God prophetically talks through the prophets using these kings to describe Lucifer. Now let's go to Isaiah 14, first of all, in verses 12 to 14. How you have fallen from heaven. Now that can't be the king. It has to be a reference to someone else. In this case, Lucifer. How you have fallen from heaven, you star of the morning, son of the dawn. That was Lucifer's name before he sinned. You have been cut down to the earth. You who defeated the nations. So here we see the beginnings here of the fall of Lucifer of Genesis chapter 1 in between verses 1 and 2. Now this fall is followed here by verses 13 and 14 here in Isaiah. And Bible scholars call this the five I wills of Satan. In verse 13, but you said in your heart, number one, I will ascend to heaven. Number two, I will raise my throne above the stars of God. Now, that means angels, pretty much. It's pretty much understood. Stars mean angels. Verse three, uh, number three, I will sit on the mountain of the assembly in the recesses of the north. In other words, there must have been some type of gathering where these angels were that he wanted to be God. Four, I will ascend to the heights of the clouds. Five, I will make myself like the most high. And of course, here you have uh, the great sin of pride. Uh, Satan's sin at core, Lucifer's sin at core, a lot of issues here. Well, they all have to do with pride. He was impressed with himself. So impressed with himself, he thinks he's greater than the one who made him. Wow. You know, we sh should always have great respect for our parents. You might excel them in life and what you accomplish, but they'll always be greater than you because they're your parents. He who names you has authority over you. He who names you has superiority over you. Your parents always have a special place because of who uh, they are in your life. And here, he could never, ever, ever excel to be who the Almighty God is. But here, he's impressed with himself that he would even think he could. And we see people in Scripture who act the exact same way. In Moses' day, with Korah's rebellion, 
uh, and then all through the Bible. And hey, today where we live, gosh, you've heard people, the expression, they have a God complex, right? You've heard that expression. Uh, people who are so impressed with themselves, with what they've accomplished in life, what they own, how much money they have, how much power they have, how much they think they're better than other people just because they own more or have more access to things that makes me better than you. Hey, that's the sin of Satan. That's Satan at core, pride. And that's why we all need to kill pride. Amen? Amen. Uh, actually, it's been taught that some of the, the greatest attack for a believer, mature in the Lord, is pride. You start to get impressed with yourself and what you think you know. Amen? You don't want to get too big for your britches. You always want to remember, only by the grace of God go I. He gets all the credit. Uh, whatever I've accomplished, it's still his. Right? In, in, in the presence of the Lord, they throw crowns at his feet. Whatever crowns we get, we get to take them off and it's yours, Jesus. Throw it at him. Amen. So anyway, Lucifer wasn't like that. He was impressed with himself. So let's look a, more, a little more at him here in Ezekiel chapter 28 in verses 12 to 19. Son of man, take up a song of mourning. This is Ezekiel here. Son of man, take up a song of mourning over the king of Tyre and say to him, this is what the Lord God says. And here we have more prophetic word regarding Lucifer. You had the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Now that can't be the king of Tyre. That's impossible. This is a foreshadow or looking at a visible person to describe an invisible one. Seal of perfection, full of wisdom, beauty, in, in, uh, perfected in beauty. You were in the garden uh, in Eden. Every precious stone was your covering. Isn't that amazing? And of course, all these have meanings that we can't go to now in English, but the ruby, the topaz, the diamond, the beryl, the onyx, the jasper, the lipis azul, don't have any idea what that looks like. The turquoise and the emerald and the gold and the workmanship of your settings and sockets was in you. Isn't that amazing? These are things we call rare gems, and he was literally a walking rare gem. On the day you were created, they were prepared. Isn't that wild? You were the anointed cherub who, cherub who covers. Now, we don't really get that too well in modern English. A cherub is like a, this big winged creature that covers and protects, that has great holiness. Isn't that wild? You were the anointed cherub who covers. I placed you there. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked in the midst of the stones of fire. You were blameless in all your ways. From the day you were created until unrighteousness was found in you. And that was his sin of pride. Verse 16, by abundance of your trade, you were internally filled with violence and you sinned. Boy, doesn't that describe today what we see on the earth? Therefore, I have cast you as profane from the mountain of God. I have destroyed you, you covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Verse 17, for your heart was haughty because of your beauty. This guy was impressed with himself. Yes, I know you've seen people, don't, don't admit it if you've done it, look in the mirror and go, ooh, yeah. No, he was far worse than that. He was far, far worse than that. This guy was in love with himself. And of course, we've all seen pictures of that in our own society. People in love with themselves and actors are in love with themselves. It's amazing. You corrupted your wisdom by reason of your splendor. I threw you to the ground. I put you before kings that they may see you. Verse 18, and the multitude of your wrongdoings and the unrighteousness of your trade, you profaned your sanctuaries. Therefore, I have brought fire from the midst of you and it has consumed you. In other words, he is consumed by his own vileness and sinfulness. And you have, I have turned you to ashes on the earth in the eyes of all who see you. And all who know you among the peoples are appalled at you. You have become terrified and you will cease to be forever. Well, pretty heavy words that we do not have a lot of time here to talk about. But basically, all that this being had to his credit was stripped from him. 
because of his sinfulness, of his pride. And of course, we know from other scriptures, other angels fell with him, obviously, who followed him. He corrupted others, if you would. And uh, they are all now part of that uh, uh, cohort of evil. Okay, one more description here of Lucifer, his fall in the book of Revelation, chapter 12. Now, there's different views on this. Some see this as future. I don't. Here we see a flashback of a prophetic unveiling that happened in between Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. And there was a war in the heaven, Michael and his angels waging war with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels waged war, and they did not prevail. And there was no longer a place found for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old who is called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. So we see here, he's a deceiver. Just like he corrupted the other angels to be with him, he wants to corrupt you and me. Well, he's not going to get his way. But unfortunately, too many people in the world we live in are under his sway, are under the captivity of the evil one who walk in darkness to do the, the, the evil one's will. Any violence and horrible a war that we see today in the world and suffering that takes place where one human being can cause harm to another or use somebody else for their own pleasure, you're looking at the work of the evil one here deceiving the whole world with his pride, that they would have pride, that they would consider one another more important than themselves and hurt someone. Absolutely horrible here. There's other areas in the Bible we could look at due to time we can't, but in Job chapter 1 here, it already tells us that he is roaming around the earth. How did he get there? He had fallen. He had been thrown down. Thus the Revelation scripture and the one from Ezekiel. Here we see in Job chapter 1, he's the oppressor of the righteous. Uh, he's the accuser of the, of the righteous. We learn from those scriptures that the, the evil one wants to accuse you and accuse me day and night. Um, boy, wouldn't it be an awful harm to be, have you, your children accused to your face by others of things they didn't do? What a hurtful thing. The, the wicked one can't hurt God, but he sure tries to hurt God's children because he can't hurt God. And so he is constantly bringing accusation against you and me. But we have Jesus, our intercessor, and Jesus, my advocate. And thank God, Father God sees the blood of Jesus before he sees me and says, yeah, that's okay. I like, I, I like this guy. I like, I like this lady. They're my son. They're my daughter because their faith is in Christ. So the wicked one fails again and again. As we move through the Bible, we do have some time. Let's go there. I, don't, I didn't give the folks the scriptures for this. As we move through the Bible... By the time we get to Matthew chapter 4, um, we see here uh, he tries to tempt Jesus. And he tries to interfere with what Jesus is doing, which is the plan of redemption. To redeem us from spiritual death, because all spiritual death has now entered into mankind because of Adam's sin. And Jesus is called the second Adam in the book of Romans, where he gets it right where the first Adam got it wrong. So here we see in the temptation here in uh, Matthew chapter 4, when Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. After 40 days of fasting and 40 nights, he was hungry. I guess so. The tempter came to him and said, if you're the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Now, he obviously is attacking Jesus' uh, humanity here because he's hungry. Jesus answered, it is written, Man does not live by the bread alone, but every word that comes out of the word of God. Verse 5, then the devil took him. Whoa, he changed the topic fast. The word of God is a weapon against him. We need to learn that. We speak the word of God out of our lips as a weapon against the evil one. And he changes topics real fast. Verse 5, he tries a different one. Then the devil took him 
Uh, which is an amazing thought. To the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you're the son of God, he said, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will come, as he will command his angels concerning you. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. And Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Verse 8. And then the devil took him. Changed the topic again. Because Jesus spoke the word of God. The devil took him uh, to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in all their splendor. And I will give to you, and this I will give to you if you will bow down and worship me. Now, interesting. First of all, he's a liar. He's not giving anybody anything. Second, uh, I will give them to you. And Luke, it tells us, because they were given to him. And Adam's sin in rejecting uh, uh, the command of God and sinning, Adam lost dominion over the creation. And the enemy took dominion away, stole it. That's why he said, uh, it was given to me in, in Luke. Uh, verse 10, and Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Verse 11, then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. You know, I only saw one of those Jesus movies that ever got this right. As the, as the devil leaves, you see all these guys in white gowns walking with bread and, and water over to Jesus. Angels started coming to him to feed him. Really cool. I think they got it right. But in Luke here, which is a companion uh, gospel to this incident, in Luke chapter 4, verse 13, it says, when the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. And that's what we learned. The wicked one always tries to come back. And you know, when Jesus was in the garden suffering, that he would have to be separate from the Father, there was the enemy to tempt him. Don't do it. I know we, there was this, I know Pastor Jim remembers this. I don't know if you were here then. There was this um, group, I think from YWAM, Youth with a Mission, and they were doing these little skits. And uh, they were trying to, of course, encourage young people to consider uh, serving on the mission field in some capacity, even if it was just a brief time. So they had this girl here, and she was like, had her Bible in her hand, so that, so that the picture was, she's talking to God. Oh, should I go? I don't know. I'm in love with Brad. Should I marry him? Oh, Lord, what's your will for me right now? Anyway, then you see demons woke up. Oh, the, the, the characters. And they're trying to talk her out of it. She doesn't hear them at all. So then the wicked one comes out and he says, you guys are stupid. You don't know how to do this. Because they're all yelling at her and barking at her. You're going to die. You'll never survive. And, he, and so the guy playing the character walks up and whispers behind her, oh, you're going to be a wonderful missionary. You're going to be great. What's the rush? You have all your life for this. Why, why don't you wait? Brad loves you. Maybe you should think about this. She's going, oh, yeah. And he walks away. She'll never go now. And he walks off. Great skit. And, of course, that's the whole point. The deceiving here of the wicked one, he doesn't necessarily bark in people's faces. He comes with subtleties and suggestions that will satisfy your flesh and your pride and make you feel good. And so that you don't follow the will of the Lord, which can cost you something. Excuse me, walking with Jesus will cost you something in this world age. Don't let anybody lie to you. Jesus tells us clearly, if they hated me, they're going to hate you because you bear my name. To walk with the Lord will cost you something. But consider what is prepared for you in eternity. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard what the Lord has prepared for those who love him. You lose nothing in Christ. You only get better. And probably the things you lost were dopey anyway. Hey, but the enemy comes real subtle here with Jesus. He doesn't bark at him. Real, oh, well, if you're really God, why don't you just show us? Real subtle. But the, Jesus spots it fast, answers with the word of God. So you need to be careful when you hear what appears to be God talking to you to make you uh, feel better, promote it, and happy. And does it really serve the kingdom of God? You got to really judge yourself rightly. You got to, as what the word of God tells us, test everything. 
and hold fast to that which is good. We need to test everything. So we see here in Matthew uh, 4, Jesus is even tempted. And of course, what's the enemy really after? That the plan of redemption would not take place. In Jude, uh, in the letter of Jude, in verse 9, we see he has a perverted power. And finally, by the book of Revelation, in chapter 20, we have his final incarceration and internal judgment take place. And this is where I drink water. So, as early as the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve, we see the enemy has had a two-fold plan. Let me have slide one, please. There we are. Satan's plan from the very beginning of time is always twofold. Corrupt the righteous line, destroy the knowledge of God. You'll see that throughout the entire Bible, a theme. Corrupt the righteous line, destroy the knowledge of God. Now, the righteous line is that line that would one day give birth to the Messiah. He's out to make sure that gets corrupted so the Messiah can't be born. He fails. Obviously, the Messiah comes. But you always see there's an attack against Jesus' ancestors so that he would not be born. So, we are now, right, the continuation of the righteous line, right? We're the new creations in Christ Jesus. What does the enemy want to do in our lives? Corrupt us. We have a whole world system out there that wants you corrupted. Why? So that you would be ineffective for the kingdom of God. That the gifts of the Spirit will not manifest. That God can't trust you because you're too in love with this world age. Why is the church in America so weak compared to churches across the globe? Because they are in love with this world age. And that's why. And highly prideful. Ooh, who was prideful? The deception is effective. He's still out to, to this very day to corrupt the righteous line. The second part here is to destroy the knowledge of God. He always wants to make sure you don't speak the Word of God from your lips. Speak what other people tell you. Speak religious tradition. Speak clever things. Use your intellect and your rational mind, but don't open your mouth and speak the Word of God. You saw what happened when Jesus spoke it. He was instantly uh, attacked at it and had to change his tactics fast. He walked away from it. Didn't argue with Jesus at all. Whoop, changed the topic. He hates the Word of God. It is a weapon against him. And here we, what do we have there in the garden? He twists the words that God spoke to Adam and Eve. And Eve's words get twisted. He's out to corrupt, uh, destroy the knowledge of God. All through the New Old Testament, into the New Testament. The Pharisees were out there. They thought they're serving God, but they were destroying the knowledge of God. Otherwise, they would have accepted the living Christ that was sitting, standing before them. And today, it has not changed. The enemy wants you to do everything but read the Word of God. How many false cults and false teachings are there today? What are they? Destroying the knowledge of God. He's at the same exact thing he did way back in the garden. The twofold plan from the garden is still here today. Corrupt the righteous line, destroy the knowledge of God. So that would mean for you and me, we need to make sure we do our very best not to be corrupted by the age that we live in. Easier said than done. <laughs> But all the more reason we need to cling to Jesus. All the more reason we need to be worshipers of him. All the more reason we need to gather together here and assemble with the other believers to encourage one another in the Lord. Because there's too much out there, folks, to corrupt us. It's unbelievable. In fact, there's this, I won't turn there, but there's this frightening scripture, frightening, that Jesus says that when he returns, will he find faith on the earth? The implication is he won't. Wow. What's that caused by? Corruption. The enemy corrupting the church. Wow. That's heavy stuff. That's a whole separate topic. So we need to take very seriously, and I haven't arrived. I'm learning hopefully like you are. What we allow through our ear gate, through our eye gate, that we would not be corrupted. Because it's out there constantly. And that we ask Holy Spirit to help us not be a people that are corrupted and can't be used of the Lord. I think that's one of the worst things that could ever happen. We're not talking about people losing salvation. We're talking about not being able to be used of the Lord in our generation. How sad. Okay, let's go to slide two here. This is from Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. 
Uh, demons have a, a hierarchy with Satan that attack mankind. So if you read Ephesians chapter 6, verses 11 and 12, they're ranked from the lowest to the highest in rank. Uh, this is an order of superiority of a ranking of demons or devils that rule. And they find here they are highly organized. Um, the sequence again goes from the lowest, which is um, principalities, and the highest, which is hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. So the lowest here, principalities, another word for that is authorities. From the original Greek, it means those that hold a dominion uh, given to them. This, an example of that would be people that are possessed <clears throat> by the demonic, people in the occult. That's where examples of uh, they are possessed, held by principalities and authorities. Then there's another one of greater rule over them called powers. From the original Greek, it means given the authority to act. These are demons that cause destruction. Tornadoes, mass murderers, um, no, tornadoes are not acts of God. They're acts of Satan. They're acts of destruction. Things that cause mass destruction. Powers. The next highest one is rulers of this darkness. Those are those controlling world systems. There are demons that control the flow of money in this world. The majority of the money is held by very, very few and most live a very, very life of want, want, want. Um, commodities are under the uh, authority and, and of, of the evil one. They control commodities. Deceptive teachings and associations like Mormonism, Masonry, those are all under the world systems and rulers of this world darkness. And the last one, the highest, are the spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. These are ones that control nations. Um, seeing what's happening today, of course, in the Ukraine, come on, is there any surprise that Russia has a controlling demon operating in it? And it's not a man, it's a demonic force. My gosh, you just don't do things like that. What happened in Nazi Germany? You just don't do things like that out of the clear blue. There's a force behind the people acting. These are the hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. In the original Greek, it's better translated heavenly places. Uh, so uh, the spirit of religion is under this category. Uh, America is under the attack of the spirit of religion and oppression. Communism is one of those. National curses, certain peoples and nations have experienced for centuries national curses they can't be free of. What their grandfathers did and great-grandfathers did and great-great-grandfathers did, they are afflicted by the same thing. That's a national curse. Many nations have it. Those are spirits of hosts of wicked heavenly places that control that. I wish we can go in more detail. We can't. Everybody done there? We're taking notes? Okay, fine, good. All right, we have the next slide, please. Now, this is from Dr. Lesher Summerall, an excellent teacher on um, the demonic. He's gone home to be with the Lord in his 80s. And Dr. Summerall taught the seven areas that the demonic world rulers control. First of all, there's world apostasy. That is a turning away from the faith. Examples of that would be Mormonism, Jehovah Witnesses, for example, they're a destruction. They're a bastardization of the Word of God. They are a, a deceiving evil that is taught to people, sending who knows how many countless people to hell. Then there's world business activities. These are uh, people who control the flow of money. It's not by accident the rich get richer at the expense of the poor. It's not wrong to have a lot. It's not wrong to be wealthy. It's wrong when you get it from oppressing other people to get that wealth. That's wrong. And these are ones that, are that control money flows around the world. Um, World crime is another area. Any organized crime is under that category. And there's many types of it across the globe. World occultism. Hinduism is an example of that. Uh, Wicca, other uh, occult witchcraft uh, organizations across the globe. World diseases. AIDS, COVID. These are all attacks of the evil one to destroy. And then there's world immorality. 
Uh, that is the sex trade. Pedophilia trafficking is a big deal across the globe. I mean a big, big deal. It is horrible beyond words what has happened to children all across the globe. Absolutely unbelievable. In fact, very soon, I think, our church is going to be giving some finances to ministries that uh, try to combat trafficking. We found a couple of ministries that will help. It's a trickle, but hey, you want to be part of the solution and honor the Lord. Amen? Amen? So that means when you as the people of grace and peace give to the church of grace and peace, part of those finances we give away. And we try to give them strategically to advance the gospel across the globe. And that's an area we're going to start to uh, visit to look at. And last, I think, on here is world politics. These are demons that rule over governments that deceive people. Fundamentalist Islam would be an example of that. Any socialism, any pursuit of one world government. Hitler and Nazism is a classic example. Uh, since uh, in World War II, there was a global madness to take over the globe. My gosh, the Japanese wanted to take over the entire Pacific, and the uh, Hitler and the Nazis wanted to take over the rest of the world. That's madness. That's insane. That, that's incredible. You've got to be kidding me. You actually were succeeding at this? Yeah, they were. Wow. That means that's impossible. Only a demonic presence could try to make something like that happen. It's not normal. And so those are just examples. Um, we can't go into more detail tonight on that. We're just not enough time for that. So there's an unseen battle in the heavenly realms over nations, over states, over countries, and yes, over the town you live in, over the minds of how people think. That's an entirely separate topic, but there's an entire war out there to take your children and grandchildren's minds to serve the evil one. There's a war against their minds. What is called public education today, this is me speaking, not the Church of Grace and Peace, is evil. Oh my gosh, do you, have you had your head in the sand? This is outrageous. And we did it to ourselves when the Supreme Court said, I think it was in what, 1962, to say that to kick God out of our schools, that was the beginning of destruction. Now, look at... Behind us, some 50-some years, what have we seen? Nothing but a decline in the American culture and the American morality because God isn't welcomed anymore. I think it was Theodore Roosevelt who said, to educate a man in mind only and without morals is to educate a menace to society. I think he was right. And that's the situation we're in right now. So there's a battle over not only people's minds, but a battle over uh, our children as well. My gosh, when you look at Germany, what a sophisticated nation, how in the world could you have embraced Nazism to the extent you did? There's a deception over people's minds. A war was taking place in the heavenlies. Now, just a brief example of that. I didn't give this scripture to the people in the booth. Uh, in Daniel, no, that's Matthew. In Daniel... Right there, he's after Ezekiel. In Daniel chapter 10, here we have one of those prophetic scriptures that give us a glimpse into the spirit realm. Daniel chapter 10, verses 12 and 13. Um, here the angel comes to uh, Daniel. Daniel was praying. And in verse 12, he, and then he continued, Do not be afraid, Daniel. Since, you, since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard. And I have come in response to them, but the prince of, the, of Persia, now that is a picture of Satan, but the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me 21 days. Then Michael, who was one of the chief princes, the archangel, came to help me, and because I detained them there, the prince of Persia, I have now come to explain to you what will happen to your people in the future, for the vision concerns the time yet to come. Here this angel is talking about a war in the heavenlies that's happening when we pray. God hears us immediately when we pray, but there's a war happening that our prayers do not get answered. That's why you never let go. 
You pray till something happens. You pray till something moves. How long do we pray? Till you see change. You never, ever, 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 ever give up. Never give up. And we could talk a whole, whole hour on that. So very, very important here. So we'll look next time we get come together on the 25th of this month on the activities of the demonic. So a breath of fresh air here. Jesus tells us in John chapter 10, verse 10, one of my favorite verses, the thief comes only to rob, only come to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they would have life and have it abundantly. That's why I said we need to be Jesus-minded. My Lord Jesus came that I would have life and have it abundantly. Because if I don't have him, all I have is the destruction of the evil one. For those who don't know Christ as their Savior, look around. This is as good as it gets. It gets a lot worse from here. But those who do know Christ as their Savior, look around. This is as worse as it gets. It gets a lot better. It gets a lot better. Praise the Lord because of Jesus. He has come to give me life and life more abundantly. So to quickly sum up here tonight, when we're talking about Lucifer, he is a fallen angelic being. He's not this all-powerful thing as he was before sin was found in him. We also see, uh, more important, Jesus left him defeated at Calvary. Uh, we see here he is filled, his heart is filled with murder, and he is a murderer. He wants to destroy you. He hates you. But take heart, you belong to the king. Jesus knows how to keep you. Because no one can take your eternity away from you in him. He hates the Godhead, and his primary move is to destroy God. Since he cannot do that, he tries to destroy what God loves, and that is his man. His secondary motive is he wants to be worshipped. Don't let him be worshipped. When we embrace the things of the world we live in, I mean embrace it, we're indirectly giving him worship. We don't want to go there. We want to make sure our worship belongs to the Lord and the Lord only. And um, remember that the Lord loves you so much, uh, the evil one wants you. Don't let him have you because the Lord your God loves you more than anything. Our minds should be filled with this. Our hearts should be filled with this. We need to constantly be reminded of this, that my Lord Jesus has defeated the wicked one for me. And we should never fear the evil one. We should never uh, be in any, uh, you know, uh, fear of, well, what could happen? This could happen, that could happen. We should be in faith. Word of God should be coming from our lips constantly. He hates the word of God, so go speak it. He hates worship, so go sing, because he really hates it when you sing. So go worship the Lord from your lips and uh, live as a praise to the Lord. I remember to close here real quick. I remember one evangelist, his habit when he got up in the morning, so he's opened his eyes. Okay, Satan, you're in trouble now. I'm awake. <laughs> Love it. Don't make them happy. Make them miserable. Amen? Let's pray here. Father God, we thank you that the victory is in Christ and he has given it to us. He has given us authority to uh, thread over the, uh, tread over the wicked one. We thank you, Lord God. We do enforce the victory of Christ from our lips. We treasure your word in our hearts that, Lord God, we would serve you all our days, Father, and produce fruit this side of heaven for the kingdom in the generation we live in, Lord God, that would give you the honor and the praise and the glory that you deserve. And we thank you for this, Father God, that our Lord Jesus has defeated the wicked one for us and that we now have, can have life and have it more abundantly. We choose, Lord God, the abundant life in Christ. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Can you agree and say amen? Amen. amen.